What's up guys, Rick here with your DFS preview for this week's AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, another course rotation. We will talk about that in just one second, but big shout out to all of you that I met at Torrey Pines last week. It was awesome. It was phenomenal. It's nice to put faces to names and meet new people. So thank you so much for all the support. I can't even believe it. Um, you know, thank you for all the likes, all the subscribing to the video, all to the channels. It's, uh, it's beyond appreciated. So, so thanks again. Let's jump into this week at Pebble Beach. Not one, not two, but three courses. Again, we saw this at the American Express a couple of weeks ago. Same situation that we're getting here for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. By the name, you should know there are amateurs out there. And by the three-course rotation, by this point, you should realize that every golfer is going to play one round at each of the three courses, Pebble Beach, Monterey Peninsula, Spyglass Hill, and then there will be a 54-hole cut, and they will return to the host course, which is, of course, Pebble Beach. If you remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, and I still think it bears true, with a 54-hole cut, I think I'm more willing to kind of take on some duds or some scrubs, whatever you want to call them, basically just guys that are priced further down the board, long shots, flyers, whatever adjective you want to use to describe those types of golfers, I think it's still warranted because if they do miss the cut, you're only missing out on one round's worth of fantasy data. And again, course rotations are pretty wonky, right? We've seen some longer shot winners here as well. Ted Potter Jr., remember when he outdueled Dustin Johnson? He was about a million to one. I think he was actually like 200 to one or something like that when he won. But uh, it just creates volatility a little bit. But you do get some really coarse, uh, really sticky course history. So it's kind of weird. We'll walk the fine line for this week. You're going to hear about how short these courses are, and it's not necessarily incorrect. Basically, it's three courses, uh, two par 72s and a par 71 that all play under 7,100 yards, something like that. Pebble Beach is some of the smallest greens on tour. So you really essentially what what you get a lot of people saying are uh, shorter hitters who are accurate off the tee have success here. That is the eye test and it's not incorrect. However, if you run the regression model, driving distance again, again, is one of the more correlated stats to success. And I'll tell you why, especially around Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach has a lot of natural landing areas. You know, you can only hit it, let's say 270 yards on this line. Everyone plays to the same spot. Well, off the tee, that's great for the short hitters because they're going to be able to be in a position on their second shot to hit from where the long hitters are hitting from, which is very, very rare on the PGA Tour. The other thing is, however, when they all get to that spot in the fairway and they're all, you know, 280 yards off the tee, the longer hitters are still hitting shorter clubs into these greens than the shorter hitters are. So while that distance, and maybe driving distance is not a good word to describe it this week, maybe it's club head speed, that club head speed is not necessarily shown as a big gap off the tee. It is a bigger gap on the approach shot. So keep that in mind. If you're hitting a pitching wedge in and your peer is hitting an eight iron in, you are almost certainly going to have the edge in that scenario. So uh, that is one thing that I wanted to make sure that I, I mentioned because a lot of people are going to look at the regression model and they're going to say, I thought you didn't need to be long here. You don't. 
but driving distance is always, and especially here because of the way it pans out, a valuable asset. Now there are differences in these courses and one course in particular that I want to talk about so that if you're playing showdown, if you're doing round by round betting, if you're entering props, if you're doing first round leader, things like that, the courses matter. So both Monterey Peninsula and Pebble Beach kind of similar in terms of scoring averages. They're going to be the easier two courses. They're the easier fairways to hit. They're the easier greens to hit. To put it into perspective, Monterey Peninsula, the last time we saw it in 2020, basically the fourth easiest fairways to hit and the easiest greens to hit. Pebble Beach, about the sixth easiest fairways to hit and about middle of the road in terms of difficulty for greens and regulation. But Spyglass Hill, it was about middle of the road in fairways hit but they were the eighth hardest greens to hit out of 51 courses last year. Only about 58% of players hitting a green in regulation. That's a big deal. And I don't know if we're going to see books be savvy enough or pricing be savvy enough to kind of um, stay up to date with the scoring, especially as it starts. So this is where I think there's a big edge this week, not only showdown, but also in setting props. So I know that you guys or you guys know about me that when something new comes out, I kind of vet it. And if I get excited about it, I start to work it into the tools because the, the tools are built for me. And I just hope that you guys like them as well. So I did the same thing with stock market, DFS and jock market. And I've been getting a lot into props and specifically prize picks. And if you haven't played on prize picks, I can pull it up here. It is basically uh, an over under game. You can, you can pick, uh, which props that you want to put into your entries. Obviously, they have other sports besides golf, but I think for this week, and we're going to see this as the props get released uh, later in the week, what are they going to do for the guys that are playing on Spyglass Hill? Because the, some of the categories that you set props are, and there's, you know, there's fantasy score, which is basically your scoring average. There's how many greens they're going to hit, how many fairways they're going to hit, how many birdies are better they're going to make. That Those are going to be big differences depending on the course. So I'm waiting to see for when these, when the, the prop lines get released to see what they're going to do for guys that are starting specifically at Spyglass Hill. When you remember only 58% of greens and regulation were hit there. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. I've been loving the props. If you go to prize picks and I'll put a link in the description, use my code Rick. It helps you. It helps me. Uh, it'll get you up to a instant $100 or 100% deposit bonus up to $100. I've been playing a lot more. I'm going to be playing a lot more. So I think that um, there's a lot of savviness that we can put into this and we can, and we can kind of uh, make some money together. Let's go over to the cheat sheet. Only four golfers priced over $10,000. Patrick Cantlay leads the way at 11200 Will Zalatoris gets the nod over Daniel Berger for the second most expensive golfer. He's 10-8, Berger's 10-5, and then Jordan Spieth at 10-3. That's it. We've got to talk about these guys, and I want to talk about them uh, kind of in these terms. I want to go over to the power rankings here, and I'll just do players in this field. And actually, you know what? Let's go to the weighted. Let's go to the weighted strokes gain. Last 50 rounds or so. There are two guys that stand alone here. It is Patrick Cantlay and it is Daniel Berger. Daniel Berger has a huge gap from him, the second best golfer in weighted strokes gain to Seamus Power. And then Cantlay has an even basically uh, the same gap on Berger. It's insane. Basically the gap between Cantlay and Seamus Power first to third is the same gap from Power third 
to Tyler McCumber, who is like 91st on this list. That That's the gap. So what I'm trying to illustrate here is that when you look at the weighted strokes gained, which uses strength of field for every round that these guys are playing amongst other items, I could talk about it for a couple of hours. There's two guys at the top. Patrick Cantlay, priced, cor- priced correctly as the most expensive, but similar to John Rahm last week, the gap's not big enough, right? The gap, it, he should be... John Rahm should have been $13,000 last week. Patrick Cantlay should probably be $12,000. It's not necessarily reflective of how much better Cantlay has actually been. So I think there's built-in value there, and I think there's built-in value on Daniel Berger, who is not even the most expensive golfer Will Zalatoris is. So no knock against Zalatoris, but looking at this, I mean, very early pricing, it just came out. It would be very difficult to roster Will Zalatoris outside of saying, I'm playing game theory. I'm going to try to win all the money. I'm going to try to be different. And it's not a knock on him. He's been awesome this year. It is just the way the pricing came out. Um, Patrick Cantlay has been phenomenal at this event. Daniel Berger is obviously your defending champion. He has three straight top tens in the only three times that he's played this. I'm actually pretty impressed with Daniel Berger that he was able to finish T20 last week on a course that doesn't necessarily fit him all that well. He didn't pay himself off because he was $10,000 and he was the fifth most expensive golfer, but that's even that's an even better result than I would have expected. So I could not be probably more excited about Daniel Berger moving forward, and we're going to get into a really good stretch of golf for him and it starts right now. The other guy here, Jordan Spieth. So unfortunately, uh, unless you're playing game theory, you probably can't play Will Zalatoris. And unless you're taking just an absolute deep flyer and, and you are a course horse buff, you can't really play Jordan Spieth. Let me bring him up here on the golfer profiles. Spieth is really struggling. And when I say really struggling, I mean it. He has lost strokes to the field in six of his last seven starts and a lot of them. He's lost over 30 strokes to the field during that stretch. That is now officially the worst seven event stretch of Jordan Spieth's career. Uh, You can start going back and you can looking at kind of some of these downtimes over the last couple of years, especially into 2020. He was not statistically as bad then as he was now. And you can say, Rick, half of those strokes came at the Hero World Challenge where he lost 16 and he was out of it and all that good stuff. Yes, your point, well taken. But look at the other events, you know, the non-measured. I mean, the Hero World Challenge was a non-measured event. He's lost strokes on approach in six of seven. He's lost strokes off the tee in four of six. Even the putter hasn't been as good. I'm, I'm fairly concerned here. And we are going to find out this week uh, whether Spieth can kind of flip the script because he's been phenomenal at Pebble, right? Like what is it? Is it a course history or is it recent form? Because Jordan Spieth's got the win, a bunch of other top tens. He's been phenomenal here. What version of Jordan Spieth are we going to get? I am worried. I am hoping to see signs of life. I will not be an investor of Jordan Spieth this week, but if he gets it going, you know, we are 60 something days away from Augusta National. And this is an important stretch for him here and in Phoenix. And just as we lead into, you know, that that uh, first full week of, of April, we're going to learn so much about Jordan Spieth this week, but I do not believe it's going to be with me as an, as an investor. This 9K range, oh mama, there is a lot to like here. I, I might consider, if I didn't think Cantlay and Berger were so head and shoulders above the rest of this field, I'd consider skipping 
the 10K range entirely because you've got Jason Day. If you think Jordan Spieth's tournament history uh, is good here, go look at, at Jason Day's. Basically everything but a victory. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight top tens in nine starts, including, oh my God, including basically five in a row. And then the one that snapped that streak was an 11th. So I'm going to basically give him seven in a row. He has just been dominant here. We're seeing a better version of Jason Day. Jason Day made um, a couple of comments last week at Torrey Pines where he says, you know, it doesn't even feel like I'm injured anymore which is obviously a great sign for someone who has battled injury. And when you're hurt, you can't practice. You know, it's fi- it's hard to find practice. time. That came out like Allen Iverson, didn't it? Practice? Um, it, it, it's hard to find practice time. We are seeing a better version. I mean, he's, he's never going to go back to that time where he won like seven times in 17 months or whatever. That's That was unbelievable moment in golf history. But we're starting to see better and better signs out of Jason Day. So you got to love him there. Justin Rose, uh, again, hat tip to Justin Rose. He's he's kind of fixing himself. Remember, and I said this last week, and we and and he kind of paid it off last week at Torrey Pines. Remember when in the summer he was just reliant on the putter. We're not seeing that anymore. We're seeing a well-rounded golfer. He gained 5.4 strokes on approach last week. Again, that's only three measured rounds, and that is his best event since. The 2019 WGC FedEx St. Jude. And that was only three rounds. So, I mean, he is just ball striking the heck out of it. He is much more well-rounded. This is what you want to see from Justin Rose. So that's exciting as well. Uh, Who else do we have here? Mav McNeely. Back-to-back top five finishes He's no, uh, at this event. He knows Pebble Beach like the back of his hand. Literally grew up on the golf course. I'm optimistic on him this year, as I've talked about plenty of times. Cameron Tringale, this feels like we're about to break through, right? Cameron Tringale holds the unfortunate distinction of making more money than anybody on the PGA Tour, $14 million without a victory, which is crazy. And he's put himself in, in contention a handful of times here recently, three top seven finishes in his last five. Doesn't drive it as well as some of these other guys, but he can get away with it around these courses. I, I'm I'm super optimistic. I think this is a week he could break through. Seamus Power, he was the third in the power rankings. Matt Fitzpatrick, you could argue just based on like OWGR and class of golfer, he's the most mispriced golfer in this field. Like It's crazy. Have I ever liked six consecutive guys in a row? Can I just play all of these guys in the 9K? So um, what what we're, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make some decisions, obviously, because we can't play all of these guys. And I imagine that McNeely will carry a lot of ownership because we're going to get the Pebble Beach narrative, right? He's got a house out there. He's played it a billion times or whatever. The, 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 the back-to-back top five finishes. Yeah, we're, we're going to get that this week. It's a little bit scary, but I think if you're looking for a pivot, he's probably the spot. And we'll know as the week goes on, especially when we get to Wednesday for the live chat, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel, we'll know what that ownership is shaping up to be and we'll be much more informed. Um, Tringale feels like the, the pivot, right? The guy that no one's going to talk about especially because there's so many other guys in this range. And he went toe-to-toe with John Rahm on Sunday, beat him by a stroke, didn't blink in what was the penultimate grouping at Torrey Pines. He, he looked sharp. I, I followed that group for quite, for, uh, quite a bit of time. And, and I was impressed with what I saw from Cameron Tringali. So I imagine that's probably your pivot play. Uh, the guys in the bottom, the bottom of the 9K, I'm very interested to see how this shapes up because... 
Streelman is another kind of elite course history guy, right? He's gone 13th, runner-up, 7th, 6th, 14th, and 17th in his last six years. Form not as great coming in. Kisner, however, I got to give a shout to Kevin Kisner because I'm not a particular, I don't roster and I don't invest in Kevin Kisner maybe as much as I should, but when you start to look at what he's been up to, uh, the win at the Wyndham Championship, that was a bit of an outlier at the moment. But what we're seeing now is a return to that type of play, gaining multiple strokes on approach. Last time we saw him at the Sony Open, gained across the board. So he played twice this year in 2022, both ends of the Hawaiian swing, T8, T3. This is probably one of the better spots for him on the PGA Tour because he's not an overly long hitter of the golf ball. Is that what I want to say? I guess it is. So interested to see what everybody does with this 9K range. It's fascinating. I could spend probably nine more hours on it. We'll talk on the live chat and we'll talk you know, on Twitter spaces about this, but very, very, very excited about this $9,000 range. Before I jump into the $8,000 range, there's, there's two things that I want to look at in the Holy Grail here, because there's a couple of narratives you're going to be constantly hearing about this week. Uh, the first one is that, oh, this, this course is so short. Okay, whatever. Let's just pump in uh, courses under 7,100 yards. Okay, courses under 7,100 yards, open it up to the last, I don't know, 14 years, going back to 2008, just players in this field. Who has been the best? Well, Michael Thompson and Taylor Moore, they only have a handful of rounds. That's not what I want to look at. Let's look at maybe the last three years. We'll go back to the start of 2020. Uh, Patrick Cantlay. With anybody with a sample size, Patrick Cantlay's number one, 26 rounds, gaining two strokes per round. Daniel Berger's up there. Mav McNeely, Seamus Power, Lucas Glover. We're going to talk about him when we get to the sevens. Christian Bezadenhout, he's the first guy in the $8,000 range that pops up. He's gaining over a stroke per round. Brendan Todd is up there. He's in the sevens. Adam Svensson, smaller sample size. And then Matt Kuchar uh, at $7,600. So there's only one guy in this $8,000 range that on short courses uh, tends to prosper. That's Christian Bezadenhout. So keep that in mind. The other thing we're going to, going to hear about all week long is uh, strength of field. So what I also want to do is I want to this this strength of field is going to be it's about it's going to be about a 212. It's actually going to be a lot better than it was last year. It's going to be similar to the Fortinet and it's going to be similar to the 3M Open. So I'm just going to say uh, strength of field between 175 and 250. This is not an exact science, but let me just run that out there and see who pops up. Um, and I got to open this up a little bit wider than just the last three years because. Uh, that's not a that's not a strength of field that we range that we normally get into. Number one, Justin Rose, thirty five rounds, gaining nearly two strokes per round in these weaker field events. His win at the Zurich Classic came in that range. Couple of other uh, top fifteens in there as well. Mito Pereira has about half the rounds as Justin Rose. T six third, T thirty one, T twenty nine. Those are the four events he's played. Jason Day as well. So you're seeing a trend here, aren't you? It's that 9,000, couple guys in the eights, maybe Mito, uh, maybe Bezadenhout, maybe those are the paths that we want to go, but you can continue to dive into this as much as you want. Um, I, the way that I see this $8,000 range is, is quite interesting. Ryan Palmer was fast, was phenomenal from tee to green last week, uh, could not make a putt. He's had really bad success at, at Pebble Beach. I think this is uh, one of the stickier course history, so I'm going to lean on course history a bit more than I would normally like to. So when there's other great options here, Ryan Palmer probably not going to be making uh, you know my short list of, of golfers to, to play this week. Lonto Griffin, on the other hand, 
did finish 30th last week, but he had basically, I believe it was like the round of the day on Sunday, went out there, fired something low. That's what you want to see out of Lonto. We already talked about Pazayden Hoke. Tom Hoagie. Tom Hoagie is kind of interesting, right? What, what do you know about Tom Hoagie? Well, you know that he is a boomer bus golfer, which this actually might be too expensive for someone like that. But with the field strength and kind of the names that are in it, you kind of have to throw out the fact uh, that Hoagie is usually much cheaper than this. But he's got two top four finishes in his last four, half of his last four starts. The other two are missed cuts. He is generally a very good approach player. And when things go well, he finishes well, which is always good to see. And the last time that we saw him at this event, he finished 12th, which was last year. Uh, Mito made one of those uh, filters that I put up on the Holy Grail. This is his first trip to Pebble Beach. Interesting to see how that shapes out. But those are probably, you know, my favorite guys in the 8K. So it's probably Lanto. It's probably Bezadenhout. A little bit of hoagie maybe, depending on what type what type of uh, risk tolerance you have and what you're looking for. And then Mito, who, you know, might just ball strike the heck out of it in a weak field like this and get himself into contention. The $7,000 range. A couple of interesting names. Lucas Glover stood uh, stuck out to me basically immediately. You know, he's made his last two cuts here. One of them was a seventh place finish. That was in 2019. He finished fifth at the Sony. Let's go to his golfer profile page because... Um, Glover is probably one of the few guys in this range that has what I believe to be legitimate win equity. And the reason that I think that is not only because of the John Deere Classic that he won 13 events ago, but look at the look at the advanced profile here. It's always very good on approach and he's been better, not good, better recently with the putter. And when you're a zero putter at the Sony Open and your name is Lucas Glover, you're going to finish T5. That That's what he needs to be. So he's got two straight starts in which he was basically a zero with the putter. Very, very exciting. And he's done it three of his last four. Also, I don't want to use the same verbiage, but he is about half as bad on POA, which is the same thing I said about... Um, about Luke List last week. Just be like, ah, half as bad or twice as good or whatever it is. Uh, but I do think he owns uh, legitimate win equity in this field. The other one here is Minwoo Lee. And we'll see what everyone does with Minwoo because he's generally playing on the European Tour. The last couple of times that we've seen him come over uh, and play PGA Tour events are WGCs or majors, and they haven't always gone well, although he did finish T28 at the WGC at, at concession uh, early in 2021. So I think maybe that's what people remember the most, but he won the Scottish Open in the summer. He's a good player. He's got three top eight finishes in his last four. He is a sharp, um, talented golfer that is now going to be able to play in Arguably, I'm just kind of scrolling through his his uh, starts here. This is probably the easiest PGA Tour field he's been in. Not not worldwide. Obviously, he's played weaker fields um, in Europe, but. In terms of PGA Tour fields, this is probably one of, if not the weakest field that he's played in. So he might be the flavor of the week. We'll see how that ownership checks in on Wednesday, but uh, I, it would be for good reason. A couple of other names at the bottom of the $7,000 range that move the needle a little bit for me. Uh, Sahith Tagala has now made uh, not only three consecutive cuts, but uh, basically getting better finishes each and every week. 48th at the Sony, 33rd at the American Express, 25th at the Farmers. I believe he just accepted a sponsor's invite for Phoenix. So this is probably going to be at least a five 
event stretch for him as he tries to, you know, lock up as many points and as much money as possible. He's 7,200. Brandon Harkins is kind of interesting. So Harkins won on the Corn Ferry last week, but if I remember correctly, that event ended on, it ended on Wednesday or Thursday, I believe, which is because the Corn Ferry is kind of off, off schedule now. And that to me is a much better situation for these guys who have like the extra time to win, then get prepared, come up to the, the, to, to get to Pebble beach, get ready. He's made the cut the last two times he's played this event. 2019, he finished 28th, 2018, he finished 15th. That could be an interesting little, um, nugget for guys that won't like, like he's not going to pop in anybody's model, right? Like his, his PGA tour stuff hasn't been great. The fantasy numbers recently haven't been awesome, but wins last week on the corn Ferry, gets the extra couple of days, goes to maybe one of the better spots for him. Uh, so I continue to be interested in that. I'll also lump Grayson Sig into like the Sahith conversation, which is, you know, three pretty decent finishes in a row, three top 40s in a row, one top 25 at the American Express. He's a golfer that I think uh, is is going to continue to get better and better each week that we see him. Very talented player out of, uh, I believe, went to the University of Nebraska. The $6,000 range. Oh boy. It is, it's not pretty. Let's be real. Um, Adam Svensson is here. Svensson's now made three cuts in a row. We talk about his talent all the time. He's 6,900. Doc Redman. Uh, played well last week. I think he had a good, what day would that have been? Thursday and a good Saturday, rounds two and rounds four, finished 25th at the Farmers. This is uh, a, a very different setup than what he just saw at, at Torrey Pines, but starting to see signs of life from Doc, starting to see them. Um, here's one. Here's a really deep flyer, and I'll show you his golfer profile because this is, uh, this is a little bit scary, but we are in a range where almost everything is scary. Uh, Satoshi Kadaira is down here. And what do we know about Kadaira? Well, last year, I think he was something like eighth in driving accuracy and 190th in distance. So he's not a long hitter, which would always be beneficial, but it's not a prerequisite for success around Pebble Beach. So we know that, okay? Uh, we also know that when we saw him at the, Zo- at the Sony, excuse me, he finished T12. That's his only start of 2022. And that profile that I'm showing on the page right now, gaining strokes across the board, leading the way with his approach play, only gaining a couple of strokes with the putter. That's exciting. I know it's only one start, but if we're trying to be early on a guy that's probably getting a pretty good setup for him at a time that's probably pretty good for him, I think we could do a lot worse than Kadira. I actually wish he was cheaper than this, but he's not. He's 6900 bucks. What else do we have down here? Peter Malnati is kind of interesting. Followed him for uh, a, a bit last week. He's he was he was playing well. Finished twenty fifth at, at Farmers. This is uh, that was a much stronger field. And then you get guys with some decent history around here. Um, Trey Molinax. It's been a while. He hasn't played here since twenty nineteen, but uh, had made three cuts in a row. Two of them were top twenty fives. And then this is really that time of year where guys like Brian Gay. Uh, you have to consider. He's sixty four hundred dollars. He's missed two cuts at the Sony and at the American Express, but here. He's made four, no, he's made, uh, excuse me, eight cuts in a row. He's made eight cuts in a row, a top 10 in 2019, a top 10 in 2018. I, I say this a lot. There's probably three to five spots on tour where Brian Gay can pile up top 10s, back-to-back top 10s in multiple years. And uh, this is certainly one of them, and the results bear it out. What's the lowest I'd be willing to go here? Sungil knows made the cut in two straight, which is more than... You could have said for him for a long time. He's 6,200. 
He was really struggling for a while, and it was just miscut, 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 miscut. Has made two cuts in a row. They're both not good finishes, but um, at $6,200, if he makes the cut, uh, you're probably pretty happy with it. Let me just run a model and see if I can find some, uh, see if I can find some more value here. This is the model at uh, custom model at rickrungood.com. I'm going with 30 rounds, last 30. I will start to uh, narrow this down, get closer to 24 as more guys start playing. I think there's two ways to build models this week. I think you can play the accuracy, birdie, or better game, or you could play like the driving distance game. As we discussed at the top, I think there's. I think there's two ways to get this done. Obviously, the dis- driving distance is more like club head speed this week. So um, let me do, or you could play the buckets game. You could play like the 125 to 150 game where a lot of these shots are going to come from. Let's do let's do that. Let, just because we, we always do the driving distance one. So let's do, um, I still want weighted strokes gain total to be a chunk, like 33. And then I'll do accuracy for um call it 25 i'll do the bucket i'll do uh 125 to 150 whoops if i can actually type these in here okay so that leaves me with 17 and then i think i just got to go like pure pure birdie or better here so this is a pretty unique model for me we're using a bucket, which I know has its flaws, but there's only a couple of places where you'd want to use those buckets. It's using accuracy. It's and then also factoring in the weighted strokes game, which I like as well. So this is last uh, 30 rounds. My top golfers are oh boy, I am not going to get away from Daniel Berger this week, am I? He's number one. So I, I, I was hoping we were going to see some interesting names, and we are. Daniel Berger still number one. Uh, Seamus Power number two. Austin Eckroat number. Three. Do we have to deep dive Austin Ekro before we get out of here? Yeah, so I only have 44 rounds on him this year. Looks like he missed the cut at the Farmers, but he missed it on the number. Um, played well in Bermuda. Played well at the, the Wyndham Championship. He seems to be a pretty decent ball striker. Plays well on the Corn Ferry. Uh, accurate. I mean, th- these are these are very few rounds, but 44th in driving accuracy this year, 57th in birdie or better, 15th in par 4 scoring. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Very, very cheap. Let's go back to the model here. Eckroat, 6,800. Uh, my third best golfer, believe it or not, with this kind of out-of-the-box uh, constraints that I've put in. Hayden Buckley is four. Patrick Cantlay, five. Tom Hoagie, six. Okay, that's cool. So Hoagie kind of passed the eye test for me, the sniff test for me, and then also finds his way into the model. Cameron Tringale, seven. Yeah, I'll probably bet Tringale this week. Um, Matthias Schwab is eight. Justin Rose, nine. Chad Ramey, ten. So here, here's the way I see this. It's going to be hard not to get exposure to Berger, Cantlay, Tringale, Rose. Those were guys that I kind of liked already, and now the model's pumping them out. Uh, values might lie within Eckroat, Buckley, Hoagie, although Hoagie's more expensive this week than he's ever been. We'll have to do a little bit of a deeper dive on Matthias Schwab. And then Chad Ramey, um, I played him a couple of weeks ago pretty significantly, and I do not think that worked out. So we might have to go and check that one out again. Um all right, I'll stop there. There's going to be obviously a lot more content coming this week with, with Tuesday and Wednesday Twitter spaces and the Wednesday live chat and uh, tune into the Scramble. That's a live show. Uh, Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time, Andy Lack and myself, we're going to be going through basically everything that you want, and that's a way to be interactive. So I really hope you join us for that. And uh, yeah, let me know who you think is going to win this week. Go sign up at Prize Picks. Helps me, helps you, and I think there's going to be a lot of exploitation on our 
side this week because I think we're going to be able to take advantage. Uh, best of luck. I'll talk to you guys soon.